HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Um, and welcome. Happy New Year. First show of 2011. First, want to thank our sponsor, 360 Cookware. It's a top-of-the-line stainless steel cookware that's made in America in the greenest cookware manufacturing facility in the country. It can be used to make all your favorite recipes, but also gives you the option to cook with vapor technology. That creates a seal that surrounds the food with intense heat, locking in vitamins, moisture, flavor without added oil, fat, or excess water. Visit 360cookware.com for more information. I'm happy to have um, Mo Frechette of Zingerman's uh, on. He's been on a couple other shows. I think the Q Report with uh, Patrick and Katie and... Something like that. I yeah. don't remember. It was yeah. ages ago. Um, and he often talks about... Uh, the mail order aspect of Zingerman's, uh, which he helped start. Now, if you don't know Zingerman's, it might be one of the best delis in America. And I mean that. I mean, we're here in Brooklyn, we're here in New York, and in little old Ann Arbor, Michigan. Well, not little. Big. <laughs> During the college year, uh, college season. Ann Arbor, Michigan is this fantastic oasis. Um, it was started in 82 in that Carytown district uh by ari and paul saginaw right, correct right when did you jump in the game 92 90 there were the 10th anniversary was when i started working there and what were you doing prior to working with zingerman's undergraduate at the <laughs> university of michigan like most of the people who so you just there. walked on over and asked for a job yeah i was gonna i needed to work while i was preparing to go abroad to teach english because the wall had fallen recently so i looked for something to do that was interesting and they were the most interesting company in town that you could walk into without a lot of experience and uh, ended up working there and shipping out a few boxes here and there Excellent. at the time <laughs> and what was your background or what were you studying at u of m art history and economics 
Interesting. Yeah. And how does that play into your role at Zingerman's today? I don't know about the, the art history part as much, although all the way through college I worked in design uh, as a work-study student, and I've always been in design ever since in high school. So that certainly helped with making catalogs, writing, and figuring out websites, which we've been doing for the last 10 years. And then economics, I guess, in terms of business, but it's vaguely related to business. Most of economics is just strategic thinking, which I guess helps running a business from day to day. And we're going to get to that soon, too, because I was uh, lucky enough to be able to see Mo uh, while in Michigan during the holidays in the belly of the beast. I think it was December 23rd. Um, or I don't remember. Yeah, <laughs> it's all a blur. He worked, what, 10, 12 days uh, straight, and the place was operating 24 hours a day to ship out. How many boxes? Boy, the total number we ship in December is about forty or 50,000 boxes of food. So I think I saw you the day after the 10,000 yeah. box day. The 10,000, yeah, that was the biggest day we've ever done, right yeah. around 10,000. And um, not, not to you know, disclose your financials, but Zingerman's... No, you can ask yeah. anything, it's fine. <laughs> uh, how much money does Zingerman's have in revenue a year? Yeah, so the... The total community of businesses, because you mentioned like we're a delicatessen, a bakery, and so on. All together, this year will be about thirty-five to forty million in revenue for the eight businesses. And the mail order mail order specifically is about nine million. And in December, December is about half of that. And the week preceding Christmas, about half of that total. So yeah, these were loaded questions. Are you the answers? (laughs) Yeah, we do about twenty-five percent of our year in about four days of shipping. So imagine being in this kind of and. I can only relate it to that movie Gung Ho with Michael Keaton. And you'll see why later. (laughs) Fantastic movie. Um, This warehouse, these production lines, these boxes coming down, these pieces being put in to create, you know, uh, boxes, gift boxes to ship out to loved ones. um, Going at 9 second, 12 second, you know, uh, 30 second, 60 second clips. Just moving, just, just, you know, this constant pulse yeah it's 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 alive it's it's absolutely fascinating to be in the belly of the beast and when we were there it was actually as i like to call it the the last shipping day uh on the night before christmas um seeing products move through these lines is very reminiscent of the car industry uh you know, even more so being in Michigan. And what was fascinating is Mo mentioned the idea of uh, Toyota's car factory. And this is something that you studied in college and even wrote your thesis about. Yeah, no, it was, I studied in business school where I went um, just five years ago. And I was involved with a PhD student at the University of Michigan where they have a lean manufacturing institute. And that's where they study how and Toyota's done what it's done in terms of car manufacturing. And, you know, in spite of its um, recent problems with quality and recalls, Toyota's still the gold standard in terms of large manufacturing and it's the way and the process it's developed, which was originally developed by an American named Jonathan Deming. Um, that process is still the one kind of gold standard to how you can manufacture a lot of different things and a very small amount of space using the kind of, you know, the best skills of your people. And no one had really done it in food. And it seemed like when I was studying what Toyota was doing with cars, it seemed like they had a lot of the same problems we had in food. You know, they're running out of space. They're worried about quality. Um, they're trying to, they, they make too much of one car and not enough of another. And it's the same problem in the holiday where you're 
have too much of one food and not enough of another. And so we got involved with the Lean Manufacturing Institute and really put those processes in place. So it kind of looks like a car factory yeah, um, in its way, but it's it's still it's creating great food. I mean, the cheese is still cut to order the day it's leaving the building. So putting it back in context, uh, Jonathan Demings, the American that after World War II went to Japan and presented this idea because the American car company kind of... They were doing great. They didn't need it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was booming. But he went there and took this idea of what, like variability? He took the idea of producing closer to the time that you would need the product. So one of the... Toyota's kind of north star where they're always trying to produce is uh, produces the thing that's needed as close to when the customer wants it as possible. And that drives a lot of crazy things that happen, which is you stop producing batches of things, you start producing things more one at a time in very low quantities, and then you create all these strange support systems to be able to do that. And so that's one of the things we do, which is we wrap breads to order, we cut cheese to order, we make gift baskets and boxes to order. There's no, when you come in at the start of our 10,000-box day, there's no cheese that's cut ahead of time or bread that's bagged ahead of time. It's all done to order. Yeah, and literally a third of a pound of cheese is cut to order on this 10,000-box yeah. day. How many pounds of cheese did you sell that day? God, I did not have that answer ready, but I'm going <laughs> to guess it's probably close to like three or 4,000 pounds. Three or 4,000, and then... Yeah, that's a lot of cheese. Yeah, cut. one by one in any size someone wants. Yeah. Um, now, looking on the line, too, and think again like a car factory, that there are all these parts being put together. There are these plastic tubs. Um, order sheets come out of a computer. And I had mentioned before um, a couple numbers, 9, 12, 35, 60. Uh, these are the speed or the clips that your orders are coming in or being printed, correct? Correct, yeah. So nine, on the biggest day, we were, you know, over the course of several days of preparation and, and processing for it, we were producing an order every nine seconds. And it would, you know, the printer's set to like be like a clock, and it prints it out every nine seconds. And we were staffed so that, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> we keep up with that rate. And, you know, different stations are doing their work to support that. Yeah, and by staffed, usually you have how many people? Yeah, it's about 50 most of the year and at the holiday um all told we're 400 450 and yeah, it doesn't it does not look overstaffed everyone has <laughs> things to do but also isn't so frenetic and crazy that you know they lose their sanity yeah we don't work fast that's a, people usually consider like a business that's stuck during a rush season to be like frenetic and frantic we don't work fast we work very methodically and in fact i think the rate you know, per labor hour is actually a little lower during the holiday season than it is the rest of the year, which kind of makes sense because there are a lot of new people who aren't experienced, so they work a little slower than our regular crew. But you have a kind of like training seminar. For yeah, we have everybody who comes through um, either on the phones uh, who get lots of training about how to do the software and talk about food and service, and then folks who work in the production area get trained on Zingerman's overall, but then how to do what they're going to do in their station. So it's staffing, it's specialized, but then you also had mentioned to me while we were there that you have 10% mercenaries. Yeah, people who can go from station to station and fill in wherever is needed. You know, if someone's sick today, there's too many of this order being produced. You know, like we need more cheese cut than we thought, so mercenary heads in and helps cut cheese. So, I mean, prior to, like, you know, T-Model Ford kind of production lines, everyone was so specialized that they didn't know how to do another job. Yeah, that's a big Toyota difference, too. Uh, at Ford, in fact, the union rules prevented it in, in a lot of respects. They would 
restrict people from being able to share jobs, which meant that if someone was, you know, a single station on the Ford production line was empty or understaffed that day, that was the, that single station slowed the entire line down, which when you think about it, it's completely crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, what is the fastest job in the mail order department and what is the slowest? (laughs) I think the slowest is the person waiting for the phone to ring. Yeah. They just have to, you know, patiently because we can't make those ring out of talked yet. Yeah. Um, And the most, I think the most intense job in some respects is the person who leads the line. It looks like little is being done, but they have 20 stations to look over and to make sure that the work is happening evenly and, and consistently. So, I mean, and they a, have, like, the most core responsibility in yeah. the foundation. Yeah, and they can see things that are happening in the production area over the 12,000 square feet of it that it's hard for me to see. Yeah. Um, I mean, using your eyes, actually seeing the production floor, it was fascinating for you to talk about the time slice strategy uh, of uh, the, the sticker pace, you know, of coming out of the machine, but seeing it, whether or not it's fast enough, slow enough. Yeah. So what we were talking about there was when, you know, we need to cut cheese to order, but we need to know which ones to cut, how many to cut, and what not to cut most importantly. So you just can't go into the 75 cheeses we have and start cutting at random. So we've got a, you know, a period of time, an hour, where there's told what to cut during that time, and they cut no more or no less during that hour. And if you, you, know, if you beat the time under an hour, great. If you're over past an hour, then we're in trouble. And so we're trying, always trying to balance that workload within those slices of an hour. And what kind of, well, stratagem or what kind of statistical uh, analysis do you use these numbers? I mean, or do you derive these numbers? Yeah. You mean to get to the, the folks who, how many people we need and so on? Yeah. Yeah, that is largely based on understanding, um, watching throughout the year and practicing at different uh practicing different staffing levels and using past history so we know that it given a year ago we ran with this fast with this many people um this year we've made so such and such improvements and we may see a different rate or a different staffing level within this year uh the problem is that we only get once a year to run at ten thousand boxes so you're not doing like a mock week uh in august during we don't do yeah we don't have the 120 people to hire that we could bring in there in july yeah (laughs) We can't ask them all to come back. They all have other jobs at that point. Yeah. So, I mean, swelling from 50 to 400, that, that's a huge, you know, influx of new workers. Do you get the same people back every year, or are you constantly training anew? We're always training. Some, some return. Um, we love them. We thank God for them to come <laughs> back. They're our mercenaries and experts, most of all. Yeah. And, but a lot of people are caught in various points in their life, you know, between jobs, as a student, someone who needs a little extra money, uh, someone who's getting back on their feet after some trouble in their life. They come from all walks of life to work with us. And so most of the people we see year in, year out are different. Yeah. Well, I mean, this comes from like this overall sense that Zingerman's has of cooperative businesses, though. It's it's not just necessarily about creating a, a successful outpost for be it bread or cheese, but also supporting the community that you're in. Yeah. In fact, for the first time this year, one, one of the things we saw in hiring is how many people failed to pass the tests, which are not hard, that we have to to hire them. And we realize these folks have a lot of trouble. If they can't pass these tests, they're going to have a lot of trouble getting jobs, period. And the folks we do hire, even then, 
I think had a lot of trouble with finding other work beyond it. So for the first time this year, we're actually having a hiring uh, and job training fair for people who are leaving us who we can't offer full-time work to, to help them build their resumes, to tell them how to interview better, to go through all the skills that are going to need to leave us in January and go off and find more work, hopefully. So it's like um, mercenary with tenure. Yeah, I yeah. hope so. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, we're going to take a quick little break and come back and maybe even talk about these hiring tests. Uh, I'll see how well I can necessarily do with some of these questions. Uh, you've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back. back to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here with Mo Frechette of Zingerman's, uh, the mail order department. Also wanted to mention, too, that you're one of three managing partners. Yeah. Um, who are the other? Tony Morell and Tom Root are my two partners in the mail order business. My direct managing partners. We've got a few other equity partners who are involved. But. And they were former employees of Zingerman's. One was. Yeah. Um, one came on. I guess they both were in a way. Tony was uh, directed our retail at the delicatessen before she was a partner and tom is her husband and tom was our it our first it director at zingerman's back when we all got email for the first time <laughs> well so i just wanted to plant that seed about how it uh, you know is a community and how it builds cooperatively but quickly i don't want to forget about these tests um Mo was explaining that there are a couple like obstacle course like things that potential workers have to pass during these times. And what what are some of those steps? Lifting twenty pounds repeatedly. So you <laughs> ask them to lift it up and down, and you know, folks, some folks don't realize the weight of what twenty pounds is like and what it's going to be like to do that all day, and they physically can't handle it. So they opt out of that. Often opt out themselves. Um, the one that kind of clears the ranks the most is a accuracy test where we have people have to pick some cards out of a s labeled slot in a certain amount of time and seems easy until you actually are the clock goes yeah. and you've got to go do it and we found that that kind of accuracy is crucial to what we do because all throughout the process is there's always this product versus that product that slot versus that slot and you're working at a pretty decent clip and you've got to be able to to quickly mint and accurately select everything so that people get the right stuff in their box yeah and there was a typing test yeah, as well. Yeah, that's in the – for folks who answer the phones and write emails, there's a number of tests, but one of them is a typing test um, for speed and accuracy. And then the one that was – we just tried this year, and it was a really kind of telling was 
um, a game of telephone where you were told one thing and had to repeat it back. And it's amazing how difficult that is. And that's, you know, to, because customers are telling you things about their order, about their gift card, about the address and so on. And it's really difficult on the fly to, like, manage a software program, listen to what someone's saying, turn around and type it accurately into a, you know, and realize that people are actually trained for this in courts. Oh, yeah. It's not a simple task. It's kind of like the American gladiators of mail order. It is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can anyone do all four things the, yeah. uh, at once? The lifting, the accuracy, <laughs> typing, and telephone? Yeah, at that point you become partner if you yeah. have to do all four. <laughs> no. Um, so I want to talk about, like, the cooperative idea behind Zingerman's because you mentioned you came in in 92. That was also the same year the Bakehouse was implemented. Yeah. Um, and those were the second and third businesses. Yeah, more or less. I mean, the, at the, when the Bakehouse started, um, this was a second business within Zingerman's, and it was, you know, in response to a difficult time in a business's life. I find it often with a lot of businesses, like, when they reach this 10-year point, if they're successful... Um, around that time, they start to really think about who they are, and the partners develop other interests, and you may be outgrowing your physical space, and a, and a lot of questions start to arise. And when those questions arose, what we decided to do was not franchise, not shut down, not move, not open another location, but invite entrepreneurs who were interested in starting a business to come to us with their passions. And you've had since uh, Creamery. Creamery, a cheesemaker, yeah, came. Um, coffee. Yeah. Coffee roaster came. A consulting company, a trainer came. And a restaurant, an American Foods restaurant, Roadhouse came. Candy or those Zang Candy bars, came, yeah. yeah. Uh, he grew within. He was a baker yeah. first, but his passion was candy, and now he makes our old-fashioned candy bars. Awesome. Um, and... You're always looking for new ideas. Yeah, we don't, you know, it's, everyone always thinks that we've got ideas in our head that we're looking for. We're actually waiting for people with their ideas to come to us. It, that's the only way it yeah. works is you've got the passion, you've got the interest, please come. Contact, ask for Mo at Zingerman's <laughs> if you have any ideas. But what specific ones? I know you had mentioned to me the idea of maybe a brewery or a wine yeah, shop. people have come with a brewery. Uh, he went on decided to start it himself. Uh, there's folks right now working on a tour company where we're doing food tours. Uh, they're going to Morocco this spring. Oh, cool. Uh, which is really cool. Um, and they're going to Tuscany in the summer, and they're working on other places. They've got an American one and I think an Australian one in the works. God, I hope, don't quote me on that. Yeah. Uh, then there's a couple folks uh, who are also working on an Asian street food, uh, street cart business, um, a couple of young restaurant workers who've never owned a business themselves working hard at that and they're going to start a cart this summer as a test and see how it goes and if if it goes well we might be opening a restaurant sometime in the near future i love the quote that you had associated with this is that what we don't want is a business run by a manager you'd prefer it being run by an owner yeah um, that's the only way yeah. i think how does that change the dynamic well i think in the food business you you have elements of pride that go into ownership that are really hard to enculture with a manager uh there's elements of fear as an owner that come in you know whether it's fiscal fear whether it's you know you're afraid whether you're going to pay payroll you're afraid whether you can um grow you're afraid you can pay yourself uh you also have elements of just 
uh, direct personal interest. You know, a manager may be on their way towards something else that they want in their life. What we're looking for people is, this is the thing I want in my life. I always wanted to own a restaurant. I always wanted to make food like this. I want to do it the way you guys like to do it. And what we offer, what I think is great about the business that really got me excited is I, I got to have a lot of what I do as a passion in the business without a lot of what you normally have to do as an entrepreneur is the hassle. We have an HR department that helps out with your payroll part. So you don't have to find an HR department, find out what the vacation rules are, find out what healthcare rules are like, find out, you know, find a processor for all of that. So you it have a template, like you yeah. have like a central nervous system. Yeah. That we exists. Central, we should call it that. Yeah. We call it Zingerman's Service Network, but yeah, we should call it the central nervous yeah. system. It's much more what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fantastic asset. I, it, it's a fantastic asset too that everyone's there. Um, all the businesses are pretty much within the city limits of Ann Arbor. Yeah, I guess we we kind of figured out that we wanted to be local before it became fashionable. But for us, it was mainly a personal choice, which I think real business decisions often are. And the folks, all the folks working together, just did not want to have the the distance of mind and body that happens when you're not near each other where you can't communicate in person regularly and while i'm in brooklyn here i'm the only one who's not within ann arbor and um every all the businesses and my direct partners and everything else is located within ann arbor yeah well you need a break from this holiday season i mean (laughs) i was in there i saw how crazy it was no they i i have it easy those folks do the hard work they need the break yeah yeah um I actually want to go back to the space itself. You said it was, what, 12,000 square feet? It's 24 total. 24. About 12 is devoted to food shipping. Okay. The uh, rest is various things, you know. So there's... I kind of want to compartmentalize this, too, because well, my favorite little spots were, like, the cheese... I don't even know what to call it. Container, cob. It's, yeah. like, a, it's like a stevedore shipping container like we're sitting in right now. Yeah, it's an amazing little space. It was, you know, a woman who worked for me years ago, Simone Jenkins who um, worked at Neil's Yard Dairy in England, uh, one of our longtime influences. Um, she helped design that, and she was passionate about cheese. And when we moved into this building, she said, we need to build a locker just for cheese, and it's going to be designed to, you know, the cheese will love it in there. And it does. I mean, it's a beautiful little room. It's set at 50 degrees, so the cheese, you know, the, the humidity is right. It has big, big doors so we can wheel in whole wheels of Emmentaler into it in a pallet. Yeah, there were some uh, big wheels of parm. Yeah, big wheels <laughs> of, you know, a pallet of Parmesan, if we need to, can go in. And the people work right inside it and cut the cheese um, to order right inside that room, taking it off of pine shelves we bought. We got a hold of a Dutchman years ago and bought all of their Gouda shelves. So we have these wonderful shelves in there that yeah. hold all the cheese. and that's where it's all done and it's a specific space dedicated to it it works great yeah um how how large would you say that space is probably like 200 square feet not very much and how much space is in a 55 square foot truck uh well it's 55 by 10 so 550 550 so double that that day i think you were filling up four of those yeah it was about four it was the ten thousand box day was four that day were the last day you saw we were filling up two yeah a ups truck and of our size handles about 2,500 boxes. How many of those 55-foot trucks do you fill up each holiday season? <laughs> Probably about 40, I'm guessing. So 40, and I'm not even going to try to do them out, like twenty yeah, over 20,000 square feet. Yeah, amazing number of boxes that go out. Yeah, so almost the full size of the warehouse in the amount of things that you then ship out. Yeah, it's just like a giant mouth that eats food on <laughs> one side, 
changes it all around and then sends it out on the other it, side. It's absolutely fascinating. But what was even crazier is when you were talking about space and efficiency within that space, something as simple as packaging, like peanuts. Um, there were these, I don't even know what they, they like octopi hanging from the ceiling. Not actual octopi uh, pusses. I don't even know what the <laughs> plural of it is. But out comes these, uh, like, pieces of plastic that are you know cut at one end and then filled with air and then sealed as your, your main packaging device um i think you said you had one pallet uh of those yeah. things lasting you through the holiday season and prior to that you used to use like three 55 foot trucks of peanuts a day well that's you're talking about day actual daily oh, okay. levels which is insane yeah the you know let it not be said that innovation is lacking in america because it was until just five or six years ago, all of our packaging and boxes went in styrofoam peanuts or something like it. It was yeah. a bulky thing. It was delivered to you in a big truck. And at the time, we would go through a truck or two of peanuts a day. And we like we were imagining growing them. Like, where are we going to put all these? I mean, we where can't have them delivered by the hour. Yeah, where no are we going to park those things? Where, yeah, where are we going to park them? We have, and when that, around that time, Amazon started using those these little plastic air-filled pouches somebody invented them i have no idea who it's genius um but the result is that a pallet of these unfilled pouches is equivalent to about three trailer trucks full of peanuts so solve the space problem overnight yeah what other crazy efficiencies did you bring on this year that you didn't have prior i don't think we've had any major efficiency gains this year we've seen those in the past and that we haven't uh we haven't had anything radical that's transformed us in the past in the past year, sorry to say. So what were some of the more radical things, kind of like the Air Plus packages? Yeah, one of the, the I think personnel-wise, one of the major things that we developed a long ago was the fact that when you have people who are doing a job, like making a gift basket or cutting cheese, is you keep them keep them situated, standing there and don't move, and everyone brings the things they need to do their job to them. And at the time when I did this, it looked like, a crazy amount of labor that was needed to bring all these things to people all the time. Um, but when you think about it, it's kind of how a restaurant works. A chef doesn't move. Yeah. A chef has their station set. Um, they may have runners who bring things to their station, or it's very close by. Uh, they move very little, and they cook, cook, cook. And that's our the principle that we worked on, which is just if you're making a gift basket, you shouldn't have to move more than a step. And all the food should be brought to you, any plastic bags, packaging material, and so on. You don't need to walk. Um, so there's very one of the reasons I think it kind of looks relaxed in our warehouses. There's very little walking going on. Yeah. You see a few people bringing things around to people, but most of the people are standing still doing their work. Yeah, and I mean with the conveyor belt itself, a lot of the work is being brought towards them. Yeah, exactly. So it's got a, we've got although ages that that's just a three year um, gain. Before that, we had a conveyor, but we had to push it between each other. <laughs> We just slide it, it down the line. We put in a motorized one three years ago uh, for the first time. That was not without some <laughs> problem. My rule is anytime you add something with motors, it breaks. Yeah. So as soon as we added, of course, it broke like crazy. And it's, yeah. It still does to some extent. We figured out how to make it not break so as much. What other advancements are you looking towards? Uh, you know, the, it's really, we think about the customer service end first, and then we'll drive the advancements afterwards. So the thing we want to do customer service-wise is stay open more on the phones for people and allow uh, and ship later in the day so that if you called 
Uh, right now, you call at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we can ship something for you the same day. But if you call 2.15, we can't. We're going to do it the next day for you. And we want to keep pushing those later and later and later so that um, the more you, you need something sooner, the faster we can get it to you. Yeah, so... During the holiday season, too, you said call and internet were about like a 50-50 split for how orders are received. Yep. Yeah, we do 50-50 on ours. And how much comes from catalog versus call and internet? You know, we think that almost all of it is driven through the catalog. You know, we most uh, we have about 10 or 15% of our sales as we call the who knows person. You know, it's just dumb, pure dumb luck. Yeah. All of a sudden, someone ordered from you. You don't know why. Their name wasn't on file. They just found you and ordered. But that leaves 85% are people that are on our mailing list. And that's going to be true for any mail order company. The, the bulk of your sales are driven by people who are customers or you're actively marketing to. And we actively market by mail primarily still. And most great companies still do. You know, the Amazons and the Zappos are the exceptions. Yeah. Most folks are still doing a printed catalog because so, it's still the biggest and most effective way to get people to come. Not to consider you guys the David versus Goliaths, um, but, I mean, two of the bigger, if not biggest ones in the country are Harry and David and Omaha. Yeah. It, do they do direct mail? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Omaha really is a genius at direct mail. Um, you may not like what they do food-wise or with Harry and David, but yeah. they really know how to do promotions and, and that kind of the end of the business. And they're, I mean, the last I heard, they're both like in the $200 million range of companies, yeah. and which is really the biggest food company, big, biggest food companies by far. I mean, once you leave them it's down to the 20 millions is the next biggest mail order catalog for food and then and then us you know below 10 million so i mean do you hope to balloon into that type no. of company someday <laughs> i don't think i could find enough cheese no <laughs> i mean no, i mean we're still sticking with the kind of food that we really love with traditionally made uh food which is still in limited supply and to some extent is hard to um hard for a lot of people to afford even as a gift sometimes so yeah. there's no, there's certainly some amount of a limited audience at to it but we're also we're big fans of glowing growing slow and smart and not ballooning i mean and so don't expect us to be too big anytime yeah. soon it's funny on a food show that we i don't think we've mentioned food once we've mentioned more about business structure but i just want to put a number to it your biggest selling item is your sour cream coffee cake yeah how many items of that do you move a year? Yeah, so just in December, I counted what we did in December, and it's about 15,000 cakes. And those are all baked by our bakehouse, which is just you know a quarter mile down the road, which is, I guess, one of the other reasons why we're not growing extremely fast yeah. is because they're our big partner in growing, and that we ship a lot of their baked goods. And you know, it's for us to grow a lot means for them to grow a lot, so we have to plan together. And um, probably in a year, though, Mike, it's probably like, 30,000 total since roughly half our business is December. It's a lot of cakes. That's a lot of cakes. It's a lot of butter. A lot of delicious butter. <laughs> a lot of butter. <laughs> if you don't know Zingerman's and you've never tasted their sour cream coffee cake or any of their wonderful baked goods, um, please do so. I mean, I've, I've been having slices of cherry chocolate bread uh, since I got back from Michigan. I mean, that <laughs> thing's just too damn addictive. But even more fascinating is the business ideas and aspects behind Zingerman's. So if you have an idea, if you have something to bring to the table that might be in the, uh, you know, model of Zingerman's and, you know, their other arms. Come talk to us. Yeah, here's your time to present it. Mo, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, you take a little break. The holidays are over. And uh, you've been listening again to the food scene on Heritage Radio Network on... 
Your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Just want to thank 360 Cookware for sponsoring our executive producer, Jack Inslee. And I hope to have you back here next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Ciao.